0: Stopped at a traffic light, the sound of music manages to come through your closed window. It's a song that you know and like. You look at the car beside you, but the song is not emanating from there. It doesn't really matter. You start singing out loud and drumming on the steering wheel to the beat of the music. As the car with the music passes you by and the music fades, you still have the song in your head. What was the name of it? What was the name of that song? You know the lyrics, but you can't place it. Now if you're anything like me, it will drive you crazy trying to remember the song title. Two o'clock in the morning comes to you. Now I have to find the music and I have to play it. This is the kind of thing that happens to me so often. I guess that is just one of the drawbacks of being an all-around musical fanatic. You are listening to 45 to 33 Inside the Music. Welcome I'm your host, Anthony. This podcast is dedicated to the music, music trivia, my thoughts on various songs, bands, and other musical insights. I will be looking at several genres of music. The styles of R&B, rock and roll, country and western, jazz, and so much more will be explored. We will take a deep dive into some of the well-worn classic albums. And who knows, maybe the odd guest or two might just stop by. To the best of my knowledge and research, I believe that the information I share with you is correct. In all honesty, some of the material are part of my memories that I've stored up for over 40 years. I have found additional sources of information in books, liner notes, jacket covers, news articles, interviews, various internet sites, and not to mention the band's own website. So now I just want to ask you a few musical trivia questions. So get pen and paper together and we'll see how much you really know about music. Now, here are the rules. Listen carefully to the questions before answering. There is no cheating, no using Google, and no asking a friend or family member to help. These questions are all in fun and sometimes knowledge. Let's see how well you do. I'll be sure to give you the answers at the end of the show. So let's dive into it. Question number one. On WKRP in Cincinnati, they managed to play at least three Beatles songs. Can you name any one of these songs? Question number two. This jockey Johnny Fever was fired from his previous job for what the station considered the use of obscene word on air. What was the offending word? Question number three. What was the name of the song used as the doorbell melody for Jennifer Marlowe's apartment? Music is probably the only real magic I have encountered in my life. There's not some magic involved in it. It's pure and it's real. It moves, it heals, It communicates and does all these incredible things. Tom Petty As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly! The immortal words of WKRP's station manager, Arthur Carlson, played by Gordon Jump. This is still one of the funniest lines in situation comedies today. This line was made famous by the situation comedy WKRP in Cincinnati from their Thanksgiving episode called Turkeys Away. Situation comedies are nothing new. You can watch any one of them at any time you want on TV or streaming services. However, WKRP somehow managed to expose a whole generation to more relatable musical sounds of the time. In 1978, few shows captured and used the music as a kind of third character in a sitcom. Now, here the music not only underscores the show, but is an intricate part of both the plot and the characters. WKRP in Cincinnati may be a fictional radio station but in so many ways it's a semi-true replica of a radio station of the times. In many of the smaller markets, radio stations and their DJs had to do so much more internally. They could not farm out such things as advertising to an agency. Disc jockeys would actually queue up and play their own 45s and 33 and a third vinyl records themselves. They would make their own cheesy sound effects and in some cases recorded the commercials. News stories came from a feed from the Associated Press. The basic headline of the story would come from AP, but the story would be made radio-friendly by their own in-house news staff. When I was in radio and television broadcasting school, we had to operate under these very conditions. Today, of course, all this has changed with new technology and techniques. The music, too, has changed. WKRP showed the inner workings of a small local radio station, at a time when public had never actually seen the insides working of a radio station, nor the people behind the music and the news. So just what happened to change the Queen City's news and easy listening to music radio station to a rock and roll format? One word. Money. Or lack of it. For some time, the station owner, Mrs. Carlson, has allowed her incompetent son, Arthur, to do the day-to-day running of the station. However, after reading the latest quarterly reports, she sees that not only are they losing their listenership and marketing share, but also money. To turn the tide, she hires a new programming manager, Andy Travis, to turn things around or she will shut them down. With Mrs. Carlson's backing, he changes the station's programming to a more current musical format of rock and roll. The rest, they say, is history. The thing about the show was where else could you hear a report on pork bellies, commercials for Red Wigglers, the Cadillac of Worms, and Janis Joplin's song, Mercedes-Benz. Now, Mercedes-Benz was not the only original recording of a song they would play. How's this for a playlist, Breezing, by George Benson? Jefferson Starship's Jane, Whip It by Devo, Master Blaster by Stevie Wonder, Space Trippin' by Deep Purple, You Light Up My Life by Debbie Boone, Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger, Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down by Joan Baez, and Young Bloods by The Coasters. This is only a snippet of all the great songs and artists heard on the station. For most shows and movies, the use of these original recordings would cost an astronomical amount of money, running into the millions. So how did they manage it? WKRP was able to present all these original recordings by taking advantage of a loophole in the copyright laws of the time. So the viewers were treated to original songs and not some studio player's music. Besides the music, there was the careful placement of album covers clearly visible in DJ's hands. Supertramp's Paris album. The Police's Zenyatta Mandata, Foreigner's Four Album, Joe Jackson, Look Sharp, The Knacks Get the Knack, and Hall & Oates, Static. The walls were likewise covered with promotional posters of artists. Chuck Khan, Jimi Hendrix, Comic Steve Martin, Van Morrison, Paul McCartney, The Whispers, Rolling Stones, Joe Jackson, The Cars, and Kiss. Every successful sitcom must have a cast of quirky characters, played by very talented actors. These characters are let loose in a playground that was a radio station with all its sights and sounds. One interesting thing in the context of this music station, the DJs were not the central characters. Herb Tarlick is a smarmy sales manager for WKRP, and the one who is supposed to entice advertisers to buy commercial radio spots, but he's mostly unsuccessful. His biggest achievement in advertising is that he's known as the man who got the Bo Peep Safety Shoes Company account and the Shady Hills Funeral Home to the station. He is also a man of fashion. He is well known for his very gaudy attire. He tends to wear what you would call very loud sports jackets with unusual ties to make my point, one of the lines in the show is somewhere out there there's an old Volkswagen with no seat covers. Now imagine the finishing touches of this outfit with white shoes and a white belt. He wears white even after Labor Day. I told you he was tacky. Even though he is a married man, he keeps hitting on the station's very beautiful receptionist Jennifer. Of course she rebuffs his every attempt. But Herb is not perturbed by this and tries his hand each episode. The thing about Herb is he's basically harmless. He's like that dog who likes to chase cars but if he caught one wouldn't know what to do with it next. Next we have Les Nesman, the station's news director. Les is a shy, unassuming little man who always seems to have a band-aid on a different part of his arm in each episode. Couldn't tell you the difference between the Mormon tabernacle choir and the Beatles. Ask him about farm futures, he could tell you chapter and verse in great detail. He is the very proud winner of the coveted Silver Sow Award for excellence in farm news, particularly in hog reports, and the Copper Cobb Award also for farm broadcasting. Both trophies sit prominently on his desk, and it's the first thing he'll talk about when it comes to being a reporter. Les never seems to know what is going on around him in the station. He would be the last to notice that the office was ablaze, even if it started in his own waste can. Andy Travis is the station programming director. I guess you could think of him as the wagon master who reigns in the staff when they get a bit too out of control. Most times it's an impossible task as he gets caught up in it too. Some might say it's like herding cats. They do what they want and that's all you can do, go along for the ride. He is also the one who fights the hardest to keep the station from its demise and his staff's jobs. The remainder of the cast are rounded out with the station manager, Arthur Carlson, receptionist Jennifer Marlowe, and office staffer Bailey Quarters. Oh, and least I forget, of course, where would you be without your on-air talent, the station's disc jockeys? Gordon Sims, or better known by his alter ego, radio disc jockey, Venus Flytrap. Venus is the late night DJ, and I guess he is the soul of the station, or rather he plays the soul in R&B songs. Of the DJs, Venus is the funkiest dresser. Even though the listeners never see him, you can just feel his vibe through the speakers. Picture a black Fonzie from Happy Days, with perfectly combed hair, but without the leather jacket. He is that cool. Johnny Fever Johnny Fever is in many ways one of the central characters. As a DJ, he gets more screen time than any others. However, when mayhem occurs, he is either the cause of it or part of the problem. He is a burnt-out DJ who finds himself at the last of a series of stations he has not yet been fired from. Johnny Fever has changed his name so many times like a snake that sheds its skin. He has gone by the name Riptide, Johnny Calvella, and Dr. Johnny Fever. In a strange twist of fate, David Castillo, of the Partridge family turned down the role of Dr. Johnny Fever. The Partridge family might have had a very different sound without David Cassidy's vocals, as he was the only one who actually sang on the songs. Anyway, he was the producer's first choice for Johnny Fever, however when he turned them down he gave the role to Howard Hessman, who eventually played Johnny Fever. The show's opening theme song does not denote the genre of music played on the station. This is no precursor to the music yet to come, it is rather an unassuming tune. If you listen closely, it sounds like the the tale of Johnny Fever's life. It is the line that goes like this. Got tired of packing and unpacking, going up and down the dial. This mirrors Fever's own life of packing and unpacking, moving from station to station. After four seasons of hearing the song that was played every week to millions of viewers, this unassuming tune managed to worm its way into the American psyche. Now, as for the original theme song, Many believe, and myself included, thought that it was sung by cast member Richard Sanders, the Les nestman character. However, we would all be dead wrong. In a little bit of research, I found out that it was actually a pop singer by the name of Steve Carlyle who sang it. And to be fair, apparently Richard Sanders did sing it once on TV's VH1. In 2007, some 25 years after the show ended, singer Richard Cheese recorded the WKRP in Cincinnati theme on his Dick at Night album. Richard Cheese performs the song in a really, and excuse the pun, cheesy lounge lizard style. To his credit, it's not as bad as you might think. Do you know the lyrics to closing credits to the show? Apparently there are none. What sounds you hear that sound like lyrics are actually the writer Jim Ellis scatting along to the music. The microphone picked it up while recording and they just left it in. The show dealt with social issues, race, and same-sex relationships. Now, here are two incidents where both racial and sexual orientation in a relationship is mentioned or addressed. Now, keep in mind that this was 1978. The depiction of the characters were stereotypical and would make us cringe today. However, given the times, we found it more than humorous. In the episode called Three Days in a Condo, Johnny Fever comes into a lot of unexpected money, so Johnny goes on a spending spree buying just about everything and anything. At some point, he buys a condominium in Gone with the Wind Estates, client of Herb Tarlick. Later, Johnny experiences buyer's remorse and decides he wants out of the deal, so he and Venus ask to be let out of the contract. But the real estate company refuses to let him out of the contract, so Johnny, without a word to Venus, pretends that they are a same-sex interracial couple who plan on spending a great deal of time using the pool and the saunas. Fearing that their display in public might cost them current and future tenants, the company acquiesces and the contract is broken. I had hoped that this episode might bring to light that prejudices of any kind was, and still is, prevalent. In the episode called A Family Affair, Travis, the programming manager, feels uncomfortable with Venus Flytrap dating his sister. She is white and he is black. In the end, their true friendship overcomes everything, especially when they meet and face a real bigot. On the episode Clean Up Radio Stations Everywhere, they deal with the issue of censorship of music. Now even these days, we are faced with censorship against books. Some U.S. states are a big component in this issue as they seek to ban many books from libraries and schools. The show does not shy away from this topic. The story revolves around a local pastor who puts pressure on the station manager, Arthur Carlson, to stop playing rock and roll unless it's from an approved list of his own. An old friend of Arthur's reminds him of the parallels between banning of rock and roll and the dance craze The Jitterbug. The dance was very popular in the mid-thirties and parents thought it was scandalous and wanted it and the music associated with it banned too. Now, not much has changed from generation to generation. Each generation wants to hold on to what they consider the good old days. Later, in spite of the loss of advertisers and revenue, the station manager refuses to down to the pastor and his congregation. Carlson realizes that no one should dictate what kind of music he plays on the station just as no one should tell parents what they and their children can or cannot read. The effects of WKRP in popular culture can still be felt today. Here is a testament to the real-world power of this fictional radio station and why I would include it on this podcast about music. Take a step back to little-known 70s new-wave rock band Blondie and their song Heart of Glass. In an episode of the show, just before playing one of their crazy, inappropriate, up-tempo commercials for Ferryman's Fine Funerals, Johnny mentions that the next song up after the commercial will be Blondie's Heart of Glass. In just those mere seconds, they had created enough buzz to promote this new song by the group and help it become a hit. This was not an isolated occurrence. The show was also a place that gave airplay to both the known and the up-and-coming bands. A number of groups owe a great deal of gratitude to the show as many of their songs gained popularity and even helped them to make them hits. The show increased popularity of such bands as U2, The Cars, Toto, The Knack, and Devo. After the shout-out from WKRP and the success of Heart of Glass, a grateful group gave the producers of the show a golden record of their album Parallel Lines. The gold record can be seen on the walls in some clips of the show from their second season to the end. WKRP in Cincinnati did not shy away from some of the topics of the day. When John Lennon was assassinated in 1980, a photograph of him stood prominently on display in the background without fanfare, just a silent memorial tribute befitting the former Beatle. In another case, they did address the very tragic events of 1979. In December of that same year, at a Who concert, there was tragedy. The events could not be ignored on the show as it happened in their own backyard. The disaster occurred before the British band would take the stage. Outside the Coliseum's entry doors, there was an unexpected massive rush by concertgoers to get the best seats. People were trampled. In the aftermath, 11 people lay dead. Now why should this catastrophe have occurred? Well, it all started when the radio station told their audiences that general admission tickets would be admitted at 3.30, but by 5pm there was a huge crowd. Those ticket holders were admitted through two doors at 7, 7.30. An impatient mob felt that they were missing the show when they heard the sound checks for the band. They surged forward trying to get through the just-open-two-doors. With a stampede of so many people trying to get through only two doors, many were trampled. In the aftermath, 26 people suffered serious injuries and 11 lay dead by suffocation. The fire marshal advised the band's management to cancel the concert, but the manager asked them to allow the band to play to avoid further panic. The concert went on without the band members ever being told of the tragedy until after the show. It was this tragedy that made the city of Cincinnati impose a ban on general admission festival seating on December 27, 1979, with minor exceptions for the next 25 years. The characters on WKRP in Cincinnati felt a horrible sense of grief as they were somehow responsible in some small way. Theirs was one of the stations that had offered free tickets to, for the concert. The station had heavily promoted on air as well. This was the one time the show had dealt with front page headline issue. As I draw to a close, I leave you with this opening lyrics to WKRP's theme song. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me, I'm living on the air in Cincinnati. That Cincinnati WKRP. Got kind of tired packing and unpacking town to town, up and down the dial. Maybe you and me were never meant to be. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Before I go, here are the answers to the questions I asked you earlier. Question number one. On WKRP in Cincinnati, they managed to play at least three Beatles songs. Can you name any one of these songs? Answer. Any of the following would be correct. They are. Come Together. Come Together. I'm down and here comes the sun. Question number two. This jockey Johnny Fever was fired from his previous job for what the station considered the use of obscene word on air. What was the offending word? Answer. The word was booger. Question number three. What was the name of the song used as the doorbell melody for Jennifer Marlowe's apartment? Answer. An instrumental version of Frank Sinatra's song Fly me to the moon. Here we are again at the end. I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did producing it. I thank you for listening. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends and family members. So join me again as I take a deeper look at some of the songs and artists on 45 to 33 Inside the Music. As ever, the music for this podcast is written and performed by the man I call the hardest working man in music, David O'Hearn. Thank you David for sharing your talents. If you would like to hear more music by David O'Hern, please visit him on his website at played.ca. That's p l a y d.ca or check him out on SoundCloud. And remember, when there's nothing else, there's always music.